0: Hi there, and welcome back to the Reluctant Psalm Podcast with Chris. Uh, we are joined today by uh, William Pye, my uh, close friend and uh, fellow cork dork, to talk to you about wine and the restaurant industry. Hi, Will. How are you today? I am super. Yeah? Half bottle
1: deep so far? Half a bottle deep. Uh, we have some Stoltman Uni here uh, from I don't know, Stoltman, or Santa Barbara. Jesus Santa Barbara. Barbara. Santa mm-hmm. Barbara. Mm-hmm um yeah it's good it's great yeah. sorry yeah. great little uh, way to start the day
0: I, I guess i saw the label and it looks like a, a pin cushion porcupine but uh i know everybody it's porcupine i always just say porcupine but i i now see that it's uni and i in fact see the name uni on the front of it is that because do you think completely hypothetical because i don't think we know the answer to this do you think they named it that
1: because of the richness of this wine I just did a little quick Google oh. uh, a second ago. It sounds like it has something to do with their um, like proximity to the ocean. Mm. So they've got some, uh, I don't know, ocean bed soil kind of going okay. on, even though it's like somewhat inland. Yeah. Um, is, that's at least what I understand. That's, that's what Google told me. But I, that was also in reference to the 2016. We're drinking the 2019 unfiltered. Uh, but also, just you know, to the actual point, it's actually quite good. It's nice. Uh, I, I really it.
0: like it. It's, I mean, it is a little more rich in style. Uh, a remind me Marsan Chardonnay blend, seventy thirty, Roussan seventy thirty, Roussan, Roussan, yeah. Uh, uh, but good, quite good. I think um, so. Uh, please tell everybody uh, what you do, where you work, if you'd like, or you can just say, like I say, I work in a Japanese restaurant in San Francisco. Don't have to name a name if you don't want. Um, and, uh, give us a little, uh, where are you at in life right now?
1: What's, what's been going on? Okay. I can leave it at that. I will leave it at a Japanese restaurant in San Francisco. Um, I am a sous chef there. I've been working there for, I guess, as of this week, a year, which is kind of crazy. I think the, pan- well, the pandemic took me there. So it's kind of interesting how the year has gone by. But in that time, I've definitely, uh, drank a lot of wine and acclimated myself with, any number of shops and varietals and things that I hadn't necessarily had time to do while working many, many more hours in the Michelin system, which is where I come from, Uh, and I feel like it's been a better work-life balance and a great blend of me being able to still cook, still engage with food in the way that I want to engage with food, but also uh, engage with my other passion, which I wouldn't say always has been wine, but it's always been a part of my life in some capacity. Uh, so it's been it's been a good mix.
0: Yeah, good. I, I think that um,
1: the Michelin system.
0: An interesting point you brought up is work life balance. Uh, is Something that I struggled with a lot too. And I was working at a Michelin restaurant. I a very brief stint in comparison to the amount of time that you put in to the Michelin system, but uh, certainly demands a lot from you. Uh, I think that it's. Uh, I'm sure it's it's different in the back of house than it is in the front of house, but uh, I'm sure it demands. A lot. I mean, the captains there were there for, I think, 12 hours a day, four or five days a week. And I know that the kitchen crew was always there really, really early and
1: really, really late. Yeah, I mean, I will leave, I guess... For the At least for this podcast, I don't know, maybe I'll change my mind if I'm invited back. Maybe I will be invited back. We don't know yet. <laughs> just bring wine. But, yeah, that's exactly. There, that's, the, that's, that's the admission fee. Uh-huh. Uh, but either way, I will leave the... Uh, maybe And maybe people will just put it together, those who care enough to, to do so. Uh, I was at a, a three-mission star restaurant in the South Bay, and I would open that restaurant as the saucier. So I was the first person through the door every day, um, clocked in at 8 o'clock, and would work uh, well into the evening. And sometimes, especially actually kind of like the, uh, which will be a segue into what I was going to kind of speak on next, but uh, sometimes I would stay on Sundays, which was our Friday, all the way until the end of service with the cooks who came in at noon or one. So my days there could be very long, and I would say also that the front house days would be there very long there. Uh, But Sundays at that restaurant were actually one of the first ways that I sort of, Really delve, or it was the first chance for me to really dive into uh, fine wine on a consistent basis? Because I would buy it when I could, I would drink it when I could. Uh, but the level, there's a guy there who's a level three som, uh had passed two thir- two thirds of his tests for his MS, was in the process of doing that. Sake, really great guy, and would basically take me, basically took me under his wing. He would spend Sunday evenings with me when I would kind of finish dishwashing towards the end of service, and would dip out a little bit earlier than the rest of the kitchen crew, uh, and I would stand around with him at the end of the night and just drink and talk about wine. And he really appreciated my level of interest and thought it was crazy that I was the only kitchen person besides our chef de cuisine who would ever buy wine. And we had access to crazy stuff at cost. And it was a really... So that, for me, was kind of like a really great introduction into fine wine, fine champagne, and getting, you know it kind of was, I would say, the spark for me ever thinking about getting certified or anything of that sort. Mm-hmm. I, and it's interesting that you mentioned the, the access
0: to the wine, because that's something that I see a lot here in San Francisco. Unless you're a, a restaurant that's been here for a very long time and is, is very well established, um, you don't have as much access to wine as, say, Michelin systems do. And I, I think certainly part of it is because the wine and the wineries, uh, want their wines in the accounts. They want their wines there and represented by these restaurants that are world renowned for high quality, but also because of the, uh, wine pairing, you know, um, I would say, I don't know if you have a different experience, but I feel like I, I see a lot of people get the wine pairing when they go to a Michelin dinner. Um, and when they do, they're getting you know, two to three ounces per wine. And if you know, you're, just a regular old restaurant. That's that's a lot of wine to go through. So if they're pouring something by the glass, like they're going through, you know, probably a couple cases a week of just pairing wines and not including, you know, some of the the highly allocated wines. But uh, what was the the focus of the list there was it well-rounded or was it more focused on
1: old world or, or France or I would say that the primary focus there was old world. I think that they It's a very special restaurant and a very special place uh, because there aren't very very many California restaurants, especially when you get to San Francisco. uh, As far as, you know, I think Napa has, has a little bit of this, but I think that when you're not in the outskirts of the Bay Area, that you don't really have as much personality and as much terroir. Like, I think the identity of being a restaurant near the Santa Cruz Mountains and coastal heavily impacted both the menu and food and wine, uh, whereas if you're, you know, and I'll just name names, if you're just if you're Saison or something like that, then you don't really have a terroir that you, like plays into your food. You don't have a terroir that plays into your wine. Like, sure, they're very French-focused, so they're going to have a lot of French wine. Laurent Gras and anyone else who's been there uh, are going to be a reason why that restaurant has a huge French emphasis, but at this point, uh, or Saison, I think, is not... Reflective of the San Francisco Terroir, just a restaurant that you could do pretty much anywhere in the world. Whereas the restaurant in the South Bay I'm talking about would, was very reflective of the Santa Cruz Mountains. I thought it was really cool that they would actually highlight wines from the area and make it a point to have them on the list. Um, or the, the garden dish, which is a giveaway if you know what restaurant I'm talking about, uh, had a pairing with a local beer where there was a collaboration between that um, that brewery and this restaurant. And that was the pairing for the for the salad course. And so that sort of thing I thought was very interesting, whereas they could have just been this pretentious, oh well, you know, we're this level of restaurant, we have this acclaim, so we're only gonna serve white burgundies and epic East Bank Bordeaux or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's like th- they weren't trying to do that. I mean, they're definitely the, you know, that's where you are. You're gonna drink Premier Cru and you're gonna drink some Grand Cru, this or you know, this mm-hmm. or that. There's definitely gonna be some um, a certain quality of wine you would expect with a meal like that. But I feel like they, what they did best is emphasize what was around them and, and didn't have a fear of not, you know, or or at least of using things that weren't necessarily like the top tier of everything. Mm -hmm. Every, 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 every single thing on the list was not a grand Cru version of what it was. So I think that was pretty cool. I think serving a beer for a beverage pairing can be a lot of fun too. Um, There's uh,
0: California's here in the city, two Michelin star. Uh, I I had an opportunity to eat there, and they did a beer pairing as well for the taco courses, which was really fun. Um, Certainly an interesting take. And, you know, I think that for uh, a certain value of the beverage pairing, I enjoyed it. I think the beverage pairing with the dinner was like $125 or $150. Uh, so I really didn't think it was that bad of an idea. But if I was paying, say, 2.75 for a wine pairing or a beverage pairing at a restaurant and they were pouring me a beer, I think it would almost be like, okay, now you're cutting costs. You know? Like, uh, unless it's a really good beer. You know, There's some really great beers and it was, out there. And I will say that it yeah. was. It was one
1: that the staff – actually, I, I maybe misspoke slightly. There, there was a couple staff members in the kitchen who would buy the beer. Hmm. but they didn't really buy the wine and I remember we were leaving for our January break and I left with like four bottles of Jay LaSalle um, just her entry level stuff it was still a premier crew and I was leaving with four bottles and they're literally other cooks making fun of me like oh look at Will he's so bougie he's buying champagne I'm like this is Premier Cru champagne for $25 a <laughs> bottle. What is, like, I, I'm i not being bougie. Yeah. I'm being quite the opposite. You're like, I, there's
0: four to five glasses in this bottle. That's called being efficient. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. like, that's yeah, like, yeah, $5 are you? Dollars a glass. Yeah, like, you guys are going to yeah. go spend that, you're going to go spend $75 over there at the bar drinking whatever the hell. I'm going to not go to the bar. I'm going to drink this wine in la with my friends who also like wine and i'm gonna i'm gonna be the person i think is making the better decision mm-hmm. that's just me yeah uh but that was kind of fun like i said it's i think that was uh just like a prime example i remember when i asked the song like hey like what's a kind of i was like almost bashful or, or kind of sheepish when i did i was like what's like an approachable wine that i could buy And like, i you know i really like champagne he's like yeah well you know this one's a great price, and I said twenty five. It wasn't twenty five. It was twenty one dollars. It was twenty one dollars at cost. better. Jay LaSalle, uh, just a entry little stuff, non vintage, whatever it was. The gold label, 21 dollars a bottle at yeah. cost. Yeah, it, you can't. You, sorry, you, you. It was. It was. It was a slam dunk, uh, as far as the deal, and the and the wine was actually is very good. And it was kind of like that from there. That I was like, well, what else can I buy? Like, what else can I explore? What else can I taste and Um, I think that was the first time I ever asked someone sort of, or at least got an understanding of the word uh, testable, because when I I was kind of asking him what it would take to get my level one or level two or this or that, and he was talking about sort of what wines to first familiarize myself with if I was trying to place an emphasis on... What the court is interested in, and whatnot, mm-hmm. uh, and that was my that was my first experience with knowing what that meant. Um, so, of course, we definitely he I definitely bought things from him that were really off the wall or or definitely not something that would matter. Um, but again, it's it's I won't say it's unfair because you put in all those hours and you bust your ass to really you know to work in those kind of restaurants. But um, it, it is an unfair advantage in a way of. My young, my next thing his brother wants to learn wine, and I try to help him. In, when I can, he lives in Madrid, so he's in Europe, where where wine and and whatnot is a little bit cheaper than here. But the advantage that I have is that being able to buy wine at cost means that you can expose yourself to. I I would say. You could you could get more volume if you wanted to, but I thought my, the, at least the way I looked at things was like, well, I can buy a higher quality for the price tag that I would pay in a grocery store for something that was not necessarily as good. I won't say definitely better because it's more expensive, of course, but it definitely was an opportunity to you know drink Marie Couton for forty bucks a bottle, mm-hmm. which is one of my still one of my favorite champagne producers uh, that I've ever gotten to work or serve, and now I've become much more familiar after working with it, at the Riddler, and I was like, wow, I was getting that stuff from nothing, mm-hmm. so. Yeah, I, I think that's a,
0: a, a good point that you bring up, being in the industry and, and the exposure that it allows you to some of these wines, I mean, some of the best experiences I've had is, a you know, a, a guest will come in and bring in a bottle of wine and ask me to open it, and, uh, you know, standard practice, not not always standard practice, it kind of depends on where you are, but but... What I've seen in the city is when somebody does that, you ask, "May I evaluate the wine for you?" And kind of what that means is, if you're in with a guest, and you know, we get all these glasses of wine out for all your friends, and then we pour the wine in everybody's glass, and then the wine's like corked or off. You know, like your friends are going to be polite. Maybe you're not even going to taste it. Your friends are going to try try two or three sips and decide they don't like it, and then you're going to turn around and say, "Oh, sorry, the wine's off." So evaluating the wine for somebody is is more. Uh, I mean, it's a great uh, opportunity for me to learn, but also it's an amazing opportunity. Uh, or it's, a, it's a great opportunity for them to not make a fool of themselves or, or possibly disappoint their guests. Um, and, you know, you pour like an ounce, taste the wine. But being able to evaluate wine for people is really amazing. I think I tried 1985 Mayakamas Cab one time. I tried a, a, a 1990 Louisville Barton. Um, you know I, I had the opportunity to taste a lot of really great wines because of you know the fact that that I work in the industry where those wines are being opened or sometimes people come in and open something and say pour yourself a glass and you know you get to taste something for free or buying things at costs also is always a, a great opportunity.
1: Well I got a little taste of that uh, when I was at tastes being the operative word mm-hmm. uh, a little bit of that when I was working front of house for a while so I'm one of the rare, Cases of someone who started in front of house, went to back of house, uh, and everyone laughed and said, "Well, you clearly don't like money," um, and I, I suppose I don't. But uh, it was unless it's wine, right? Unless you can use your money
0: to buy wine, exactly. Yeah. And it was.
1: I mean, I will never look. I'll never look back at that decision as something I regret at all. I mean, cooking now is definitely my passion. Um, but aside from that, it's been rewarding in so many other ways. Where I think that I evaluate wine differently than a lot of people and it was kind of funny to me when I was taking a break from cooking uh, at the beginning of 2020 I stepped out, was working at a champagne bar and another bar in the south or I guess south part of the city technically, dog patch. Dogpatch mm. um, ungrafted, wonderful restaurant uh, and bar, or bar bar, wonderful restaurant and wine bar um, and I feel like when I spoke with people there, there was just a different approach that you take when you aren't someone who learns wine in the traditional way. Uh, I think just not being someone who learned through the traditional system definitely made it different. But just being someone who looks at wine from a chef's perspective, I think, just made it different for me. Um, and that was a really unique experience. So I, I, I don't know, I just feel like there's, there's definitely a... Uh, Law or there's, I don't know. I'll will say there's a wine from. I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of losing my train of thought here. Uh, there's there's a certain way that we evaluate wine as someone who's a wine professional. There's a certain way you evaluate wine as a wine enthusiast. And I feel like it was interesting to me to be this like kind of odd third category mm-hmm. that doesn't exist for very many people.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think you're right, and I think you know the the opportunity that allowed you is a great chance to taste a lot of fruits, a lot of vegetables, a lot of different meats, a lot of different things, right? Like working in the kitchen, you taste stuff all day long. And so you're able to maybe tie similarities between the wine and your glass and something that you've tasted before, which is maybe a little more difficult for others. I mean, I grew up, I, I say all the time, blind tasting is probably one of my weakest points. And part of the reason is, is because I grew up not eating a lot of fruit. So you ask me, yeah, you know, does this wine taste like Bing cherries or does it taste like red cherries? I I probably can't tell you the difference between the two. You know, I, it's just something sure. that's not uh, common knowledge necessarily to me. But it's a you blessing know,
1: of coming living in California.
0: Yeah, true. I mean, since I've lived in the Bay Area, trying a lot of different stone fruit on the regular, and, and being exposed to to more high quality grocery and and fruit, I've I've had the opportunity to taste a lot more as well. Um, but, you know, working in the kitchen, I think, is a, is a great way. You know, you're able to pick up more herbs and you're able to pick up more, like, uh, more spices out of the wines. Like, I Herb. think it's dope.
1: Herbs for sure. And I definitely, I think one that's interesting that not a lot of people talk about is, uh, especially at, at the restaurant I was in the South Bay, was um, we fermented everything. Mm-hmm. We I mean, just anything and everything under the sun that we could ferment, uh, which I know was very, kind of got trendy for a while, but... Um, the guy next to me worked, or worked me next to me worked at Noma, so like I feel like he had some, or not, I feel like he had a lot of know-how, and um, I feel like we weren't doing it in a way that was cliche or, or for the sake of doing it. There was clear applications that we were manipulating the flavor of a mushroom by fermenting it. We we're manipulating the flavor of saltews by by fermenting it. We we're manipulating the flavor of black truffle, which a lot of people are scared to ferment because it's expensive, but we would ferment black truffle and the flavor that Black truffle takes on when it's fermented, because of the nature of fermenting something in, in general, you get more of that funk, you get more kind of must, and it definitely changes the composition mm-hmm. and preserves it for longer, and it definitely was a, a rewarding thing for me, because I think when you taste a lot of different fermented things, and then you taste wine, which is fermented, definitely has a certain... Way that it, your palette, like I guess, your palate's informed in a different way. I think is the mm-hmm. best way to say it. So that was that was definitely cool.
0: Yeah, and and earlier you were kind of talking a little bit about working in the East Bay and and you were working at a, a, a champagne champagne bar, champagne restaurant, is was it a I was a little champagne I
1: house was living and still living East Bay, but yeah, the champ. This was in Hayes Valley, mm-hmm. uh, which mm. I'll even say the name of because it doesn't exist anymore. But I was working at the Riddler, right. Um, RIP uh, Jen and the Riddler crew uh, wonderful human beings uh, seriously I, I mean I was only there for two maybe three months mm-hmm. and feel like in that short period partially because I was very aggressive about doing so and, and passionate about it but I, in, that, in that short period I learned a ton about champagne uh, and grower producers and the importance of grower producers how the big houses work, who gets root from where, the history so a lot of history of the Champagne region, which which a lot of people don't know, um, and it's funny you were touching on earlier, just uh, being able to taste things. Some of my fondest service industry memories are are in that restaurant because, I mean, anything that any guest is letting you try, is typically going to be some epic. Whatever, and something it's something they're proud of, right? Yeah. And you're in a champagne bar, it's like so. Anything you're drinking that I guess is letting you try is an epic champagne. So, I'll never forget the table. The first bottle they ordered was the Tete de Cuvée by uh Pierre Peters. Mm. Uh, I can't, it's like I can't remember the name, but. 20, it was like 2014 or some somewhere around there, but Tete and they wouldn't drink the wine until I tasted it. They insisted. They're like, no, no, what do you think? <laughs> it's like, I mean, no pressure. You're only buying a you know $750 bottle of, of champagne. No pressure. Uh, and then the second bottle that they drank, which is the only reason I've even tried it, which is one of those things, again, where it's like some of these bottles that people open in these kind of restaurants, you otherwise probably wouldn't try on your own or would only try on your own in a very special occasion special or occasion. once a year yeah. or once yeah. in a lifetime. Uh, the other bottle they, they ordered was and gave me a basically a, half a glass of one of my favorite bottles ever, which was the J. LaSalle's uh, 2012 Special Club Rosé. Mm-hmm. Just completely, completely insane. One of the most pure expressions of just... I mean, I believe it's Pinot dominant, but it's just, I mean, just an exceptional, exceptional fruit, exceptional balance. Just tasted like it was bottled a, a day before. I mean, mm. just like super bright, super fresh, um, and I just, yeah, it was just totally blown away. And it was one of those things where it's like I would never go buy this bottle on my own. But thank you very much for letting me try yeah, it. Yeah,
0: yeah absolutely. Um, yeah, and, and so aside from that you you kind of migrated back into the kitchen and when you migrated back into the kitchen that was in a Michelin setting is that am i
1: that mistaken? N- no that was well, so i, I uh, kind of the other way around i was actually uh in my you know post traumatic Michelin uh, era of my <laughs> licking, life. Licking your wounds. Oh, yeah. I yeah. mean, that was post... I don't even care. Again, I'll say it. I was post Bennu. Uh, uh, and it, Bennu was not the best experience for me. It, it's a fantastic... Notoriously difficult place to work. I mean, it it is an iconic restaurant. It is the restaurant that when I started cooking, I viewed as if I could walk through those doors as an employee, if I could make it into those walls... I will have known that I made it in this industry Walked with giants. that was literally yeah. that was how I viewed mm-hmm, it. Mm-hmm. I would envision myself. I remember when I was at a one star I would literally prep sometimes just like be faster like just imagine if this was Bennu like that was the kind yeah. of stuff I would say yeah. to myself um, and I got there and it just wasn't what I expected. I'm not here to I'm not at the restaurant at all I never would. I think it's a fantastic restaurant. I think they're they are an exceptionally talented team. Uh, Corey Lee is a genius. Chef Joe is one of the most impressive human beings I've ever worked with in the kitchen, and just in general, um, just very talented group. But wasn't for me, and, I, and to speak, you know, we're on a wine podcast. So I will also say, getting exposed to Yoon uh, Master Song was, I mean, the, was an amazing thing for me because I don't necessarily get celebrity, you know, nerd, or I don't know, got gaga over those kind of people, mm. but he's a big deal and he's really good at what he does. And I was just very taken aback at how humble and willing he was to share what he knew, ask me what I thought. And I'm just sitting here, you know, tasting a glass of wine with you on New Year's Eve at, or, or actually very early New Year's Day at like four in the morning. And he's asking me what I think about it. And I'm like, why do you care? Yeah, like, uh, literally, it's, you could tell me more about this than I think, than I know. So uh, what are you? It, it's good. Yeah, I like it. Tell me why I like it. Yeah, you know, yeah, you know why I like yeah. this. Yeah, I was like, okay. Well, so yeah. So it was that was an experience for me. Um, but so yeah, so I left Bennu. Uh, it wasn't for me. That's all I'll really say. Uh, but I left there, and I needed to sort of reevaluate what I wanted to do. And after my time at the restaurant in the South Bay, which, again, anyone who knows anything in the Michelin system knows what... Three, there's one three-star in the South Bay. You know okay. what I'm talking about. that's all right. Uh, anyway, I just... Anyone who knows... Or so I, in my time there, I I felt like that really sparked something inside of me and made me think... And, and the guy who was there, who I worked with the most, and they had an MS, and they had everyone, and the, all the captains were level one or certified or whatever, but uh, the guy I worked with was level three going for his MS, and he... I don't know, he just always made it seem possible to me. He did a really, like, I don't think he was even really trying to, like, blow smoke up my ass. I think he was really, like, genuine. Like, you have a good palate. Like, go try and get your, you know, he's like, you'll get your level one. Like, that's not difficult. But he's like, I think you, if you pursued it, could really do something with it and really learn. And so, like, I think that was easy. It was an easy thing for me to, when I knew that I wanted to take a break from cooking, I knew I was the easiest thing to do would be to stay near it, so I didn't fall too far away. So working right. front of house made sense, and I always loved the Riddler. I always loved champagne, so I was like, when we well, go to the Riddler, and then I knew that uh, I had a connection to uh, Chris at Ungrafted because he knew some Octavia people, and I had a, a good standing with all whole Octavia people. I had friends over there, so the point being, I, I met them, and I was at the Riddler and Ungrafted, and it was a time for me to just. Like, honestly, just kind of lick my wounds and reevaluate what I wanted to do with my career and kind of just take a little bit of a break and learn wine. And that lasted for about three months. <laughs> and that was really great. It was a great three months of just like working in these two fantastic uh, wine establishments. Uh, and then the pandemic hit, and I didn't really drink much wine or much at all. I just focused on working out and playing golf and. and kind of spending time with my family and then staying sane say yeah staying sane and then uh towards the end i kind of started drinking a little bit of wine and thinking about what i wanted to do and ended up at the restaurant i'm at now uh which to kind of come full circle where we started um has been a much better work balance work-life balance than any of those places that i was before and has allowed me to spend time with my passion that is wine and i in that time and maybe this is cliche but it probably isn't um, have just fallen in love with Kermit Lynch, uh, <laughs> where, where we where we were earlier today. Yes, we were there today. And I was like, you know, I was, i I'd been bugging Chris here to go for a million years, and I and and uh, our other friend who will join us later today. Uh, but yeah, I, I think uh, I think this has been the most I've learned about wine in my life in a one year concentrated, and really not even one year, like really like a eight or nine month period. Yeah, so. They now know me quite well in Kermit Lynch, and I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. Yeah, I mean, it's
0: never really a bad thing, you know, especially if you, you walk in and you get a discount. But that's pretty great, too. You know, I know that they have uh, purchasing discounts. They like to take care of other people in the industry, which is really amazing as well. Um, Kermit Lynch, for anybody that doesn't know, is probably one of the more well-known uh, importers here in San Francisco in the Bay Area. Uh, it, it's an interesting shop because uh, having been my first time there today... They import all of their own wine and they sell all of their own wine as well. So they import and sell directly to restaurants and bars and, and other establishments, retail stores as well. But they also sell from a storefront, whereas most of the time if you see places like Treasury or Gallo or any of those major, major importers that are here in the country and here in California and they don't have, like, a storefront. Right. And and so it's cool because the people that we were there talking to today are really knowledgeable about the wines because they're importing them, right? Like, they're wines that they know by heart because they're wines that are coming – from overseas directly into the store and producers that they know personally exactly yeah and and so that was that was a really great uh a great time i i enjoyed kermit Lunch today unfortunately i'm not allowed to buy whatever i want uh but they had uh, a lot of a lot of really great things um see uh so you also mentioned ungrafted which uh, we went to together we drank 2011 Lopez de Heredia Rose, I think. I believe it
1: was 2008. I believe. It may have been. I believe it was. It was yeah. a single digit in the 2000s. Are you. I see it that it was. The, let's see. Maybe it was the eight, but they
0: also had a nine. I thought they I had an they eleven had the, and a
1: twelve. I think they had the eight and the nine. I'm oh. not. I'm going. I'm going back here. Okay. All right. I'm trying to like speak while I'm scrolling through my phone, and I may find it. I may not.
0: Well, we were we were there, and uh, I mean, it was my first time there as well. You know, you being in the Bay Area for as long as you have had the opportunity to to see a lot of these uh, uh, restaurants and and retail shops, and it's really great for me to have somebody like you in the Bay Area that's kind of points me in the right direction of places to go. Um, But when we went, I mean, you started off by saying that it was very uh, wine-friendly, very established. And uh, I was still very impressed when we went. Their their cellar that they had was exceptional. Uh, Some of the other wines that they had um, just for retail were really, really great. They had really dope old stuff. They had all kinds of cool stuff. They also had incredibly esteemed producers. So it was really, really awesome to go there. I uh, highly recommend it for anybody that's in the Bay Area, ungrafted in the dog patch. Third um, Street. I don't remember Third the Street. exact address,
1: but Third Street.
0: And uh, the team there
1: is... Uh, the wife is a master song. The wife, Rebecca... God, I'm, I feel awful. I, I don't remember her last name, but Rebecca, she's a master sommelier. Uh, Chris, actually I just found out uh, going on the website, recently it has put a pause on his Regular wine class schedule because he will be studying for his tasting portion of his master master, master this year, wow. which I was really excited about because when I was there, that's he, great. He sounded and I don't I feel like I don't want to like speak for him, but I feel like he had kind of not been as adamant at the time about pushing to the next two thousand eight. You're right. Oh I, I, I can't a picture in my phone, but geez, that was in, I'll send it to you. That's a good in picture. Right I, I have I have a good picture of it somewhere in my phone. Uh, but to, to the, uh, the point, I was uh, Chris. At the time I was there, I feel like just was kind of not focused on uh, getting his Master some, some, um accreditation. And I mean, when I was there, it was like they would host events with the court. We got a, a master class from the uh, Francia Corda people. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, we, it was just all kinds of really cool stuff going on the whole time. So it was like, even without him being that. A, you know, esteemed level. I just feel like he's just so well respected, but more than anything, just well liked in the industry. That I think it just kind of wasn't something he was prioritizing, and now it seems like he's just like, well, I've gotten this far, and I might as well get over that. Seems, it Seems I like imagine. the shop can I run imagine. itself. And at again, this point. I'm not speaking for the guy at all. He's a, a person I consider a friend, but I still, you know, wouldn't speak for him. But uh, I hope he, I hope he passes. I, that would be amazing for him. I, the way I look at it is they're just like a husband-wife team that are both – they're just really good at wine and wine-related things. Mm-hmm. And they, are, they actually both uh, have fairly extensive knowledges outside of – I mean, sake and beer and this and that as well. Okay, the beverage industry. Yeah, kind of, yeah, I, mean, yeah. Cause they, I mean, he was telling me, and, and I've been told before then, that once you kind of get to that level, you've got to learn things beyond wine anyway. Yeah. Uh, but their shop in general is just I, – I am not it's, – it's a – genuine plug to say that it's one of my favorite places to go and buy wine because their entire intention is to drink wine and have wine available that it represents, I just think, their their own kind of values of just like, is it good? I mean, I, I, you go to plenty of wine shops where you could point to any number of bottles on the shelves or any section of the store and say, that's here because we know we have to have it. Right, right. We know that's what sells. Yeah. We know it's what people want. People want Okie Buttery Chardonnay. It's the name. People want yeah. the name. People want certain of the you know, of the culty producers. Whether that's a good or bad thing, I'm guilty of some of it too. Um, yeah, but I think that they stand. No, I don't think they they definitely stand behind the what they have in their shop and what they keep have on their list. And I'm sure that you know it's easy to stand behind having you know our Lopez Heredia on yeah. your list, but it's, yeah. I mean, it's great. I mean, like I said, I, I, you go through that list, and it's like, I would drink basically all of this, yeah. and I don't say that very many places. Yeah, it was, it was cool to go and see, you know,
0: I think a part, of, part of the thing to me that makes, like, a great list is, is range of regions, range of grapes, and also range, age range. And I think that they do a really great job of checking all of those boxes. You know, they had stuff that was from early 90s. They had some things from the 80s. They had some things from the 70s and 60s. They had a Madeira, I think, from the 30s or 40s or
1: something like that as well. When I was working, there was a Chilean, like, Pinot Noir on the on the BTG list. Yeah. Not that even yeah, places yeah. that are doing that. Super interesting. I, I think
0: that... Uh, I think that it's great, and I think having people behind it that are passionate about it is really important as well. Um, I think that that's really the only thing that something like that could ever come to fruition in the first place. Absolutely. Um, but then certainly the only way that it's maintainable. I don't. I don't think it's maintainable without having um, having passion.
1: Yeah, I agree. Oh. And there, it's. I just think it's so cool to see a husband wife team like that. I guess they met at some level of examination mm. if i'm not mistaken mm. it was he was telling me that they were at some something to do with the court so mm. i'm not going to i i feel like it was examination but i could be wrong but it's something to do with the court and they were in some tasting group or something or the other together and then they went out and grabbed a drink or this or that and they you know yeah years later they're married with a with the kid i mean it's, i just think that's kind of the most uh you know sort of romantic or wonderful lovey-dovey kind of you know story that you could ever have of like a husband and wife who are just certainly uber. in the wine industry yeah like uber passionate wine people yeah. who met and like they're both at the highest level of what they do which mm-hmm. I, I mean it's one thing to be husband and wife team but they're like husband and wife and we're both really good at they're this. on the same team yeah yeah so yeah, yeah so i hope like i said i hope he, he i hope he passes his, his uh tasting portion is what it says on the website uh which I mean, I guess it's hard for some people, but I've also heard that the theory can be difficult as well. So
0: yeah, it depends. You know, the I would say that the I wouldn't say that I'm an outspoken enemy of the court. I, I just don't necessarily think that I look at the court as the as an end all be all. Absolutely not. And uh, and I don't think many people do. But one of my detractors for the court has often been that you never know what you actually taste. You just know if you pass. So I think that tasting can be difficult for a lot of people because you never know what you got right and what you got wrong. You might have called, you know, wine one, two, and three right, and got four, five, six wrong. But if you don't know for certain, you think maybe you got all of them wrong. Right, and, and, and it then really you really is... start to doubt yourself, and right. then you then you mind fuck yourself, and. And you start to really, like, lose that confidence and you don't trust your gut. Right. Right, which most of the time kind of leads you to the wine after a certain amount of
1: exposure to grapes. Right. And what, I mean, ultimately for me, my biggest problem with that is if you're the court and your genuine ambition is to teach people, then why would you not allow them to have that moment of... This is why I got this wrong. Certainly, it, just, yeah. it doesn't make. That Let doesn't me make, explain that doesn't,
0: why you were misled. Yeah, that doesn't make sense to me, like right? Because that.
1: because yeah. that's that's where the learning is. That's Certainly. where we, we were just tasting last night, and that's what we said is like your misses are generally where you learn the most. Because what do yeah. you learn when you get something right? Yeah, I nailed that. Great. Why did I nail that? Okay, I can maybe look through some of that and try and decipher. You know, okay, I I did that right. right. But I think you learn more when you're wrong because then you're thinking about well. I can kind of see where I thought this note or component or color or texture, whatever it was, led me one way yep. and why it should have led me another. I think yeah. those those examinations are where you actually enhance your palate mm-hmm. and, and your, your understanding of wine.
0: Yeah. And I think, you know, there's several other things in the court that I'm, I'm not necessarily a huge fan of. I think that the service, most of the time people pass the service, but the service is kind of like a hazing thing. You, know, it seems you, that way. you I've seen, you know, videos of, of services and you know it's a, a group of master psalms that are sitting around or sometimes advanced psalms, they're sitting around a table and are asking you about a cocktail from the nineteen thirties that nobody has ever ordered and you'll probably never try in your entire life, and you're supposed to know the ingredients to that. It's just I don't
1: really and know. What then, proves, and then and then also,
0: you know, I'd like a Chardonnay, I want it ice, ice, ice cold, I love an oaky buttery Chardonnay. And this is the Chablis that I want. And then you're supposed to try to steer them away from Chablis or also make them aware that Chablis is generally not oaky buttery. And so kind of differentiate figure out what they actually want. And then also, you know, no, it's not cold enough. I want it colder. And then you're getting the champagne bucket with ice and water and you're spinning the bottle to chill it really fast to get it really fucking cold. And uh, but you know for the most part if you got thick skin that you can pass the the service you drip one drop of wine on the tablecloth and it's like auto fail. I mean it know? makes sense. I mean, some of that stuff makes sense. That's I mean it makes sense if, if you're setting. going for if you're going for you know three Mich. If you're going for three Michelin, I agree with you. I think that it makes sense a lot. But I think that you know for me I I love wine. And if a little wine gets on the table, it's not the end of the world for me. Like, I don't give a shit. It's you know? not. If if it's you know the most valuable wine in my life and you spilled three ounces, I might be kind of upset. But if you spill like a couple drops, like it's not the end of the world. I mean, it's great to, uh, strive for perfection and not get sloppy. But the other issue is that once you have this certification, it never goes away. You never have to, it's not like, you know, you don't have to maintain it. You don't have to keep up with it. You know? um, so you know, I think I think service isn't normally an issue for people. Theory can be, uh, and then tasting I think is it throws a lot of people for a loop. But if he's focusing on the tasting, normally I think if if you pass any of the three portions, you don't have to take them again. So he probably passed theory and service, and then is now retaking tasting, Um, which is nice that they give you a few opportunities to not just redo the whole thing all the way over again, because that would be a nightmare.
1: I agree, and I think ultimately, you know, you spend enough time tasting, and you probably get there, Mm -hmm. Uh, but I do like the, I, I, again, I'm not, I definitely don't, sort of, promote the court, or I don't promote the court, and I don't kind of bow down to the court or anything like yeah. that. It's, it's just silly.
0: There's so but, much knowledge to be had from them. They're right. a great
1: resource. Right, and, but yeah. I do, I will say this, that, that I think the level of difficulty that it takes to pass to get that Master som accreditation is appropriate because you should be, to be at that level, you should be so good that you don't need to be tested again. Yeah. Like that's that's the theory.
0: Yeah, I mean I would say that I agree with that, but the downside is, is that you could also decide that you no longer want to be involved in the wine industry. Also true. You could go sober. And now how many people are doing that not very many. Not very many. Yeah. But uh, by the time that you've sunk that much money into it, like that's your career right. and your passion. Right. I think it takes passion and it okay. takes, you know, almost a level of insanity to pass something like that. It does. You know, oh, absolutely.
1: Uh, really just like commitment. Absolutely. Um, and there are other options too. I mean, I think people, at least it was several years into the industry where I even was aware that there were other wine credentials to have. Branches. Yeah, yeah. other branches to have yeah. because there are people who believe that the Master Som um, or the Court Master Sommeliers is a boys club and it's this and it's that. It's all these, you know... Socially, you know, socially relevant issues that are prevalent in that whole, I mean in the wine industry as a whole, but especially in the court. So I I definitely understand someone wanting to rebel or, or go against it. But I think it's kind of like the Michelin system for me. Yeah. My my opinion of the Michelin system has has not really changed much since I've ever been in it or around it. I don't think there are very many re- restaurants that have a Michelin star that don't deserve it, and I don't think there are very many restaurants that don't have a Michelin star that do. Mm-hmm. And I think if you can say that about a rating system or, you know, system of... of Accreditation or whatever it is, Certification. Yeah, whatever, whatever it is. Yeah. I think if you can genuinely say that, then you're they're doing something right, and they're doing something that is at least rele- reasonably relevant to the point that it shouldn't be just poo pooed or, or cast no, to the side. And I just think that there are so many people like with the Michelin system who are just, it's almost trendy to say, oh well, that's a boys' club. That's a this or that. Uh, you know, so we're just gonna cast it to the side and we're we're gonna be the hipster, you know contra- or contrarian sort of, I, I don't know, I just I don't have an issue with what they stand for. I have an issue with some of the ways that they are run, I have an mm. issue with some of the things that they've done and yeah. the people have done, but I don't have an issue with a system and a and a play or, or, and a, a system of accreditation that says, you have achieved a certain level of knowledge, skill, or, you know, what, what has service, you know, skill with service, yeah. or whatever it is in, yeah. in, in, in your given craft. I just right. don't think that that's something that you should just, well, I, I'm going to try to find ways to write that off. Right. Yeah.
0: Well, and I think by trying to write it off, you're also, you kind of take away the hard work that somebody else put into something. And it's, it's almost, I, I think, a way of, that somebody might try to uplift themselves by saying that that those people maybe don't deserve that. Hence the reason I don't have it. Right. You know, uh, I don't know. I mean, uh, but I'm with you. I mean, I I think that the court deserves a lot of respect and I think that they've done amazing, amazing things for the wine industry as a whole. I think they're a really great level of core knowledge. Like the level one and level two certifications are amazing to teach you like basics, nitty gritty, bare necessities, classic varietals. Um, you know, but they kind of stop in the classic varietal, classic expression realm, which is fine because you're blind tasting the wine. Yeah, they wouldn't pour you something that's unguessable, right. some wine you've never had before. They want to pour you something that you could probably guess, because that's kind of the point, you know. Um, but I mean, you know, there are there are a lot of branches out there, and and you know, there's W set. Uh, wine and Spirit Education Trust. There's the uh, Certified uh, Specialist of Wine, Certified Specialist of Spirits. There's Certified Wine Educator. There's uh, so many so many things. And, and even here in the Bay Area, since I've been here, I've been overwhelmed almost with the the number of schools and the number of other certifications there are. There's Italian Wine Professional, Italian Quite Wine Scholar. One, yeah. There's French Wine Scholar. There's, there's um, certifications you can get for uh, uh, taking classes and passing tests on California wines. Right. And, uh, and it's really, it's cool. It's really cool. Um, to even see that people are paying that much attention to wine in general. I I love it. I mean, anytime anybody has a glass of wine, I'm happy because it just brings more attention to the industry and, and it supports, you know, farmers and it supports people that are out there growing the grapes and, and really like, you know, putting their, putting their, uh, not their lives on the line, but their like you know financial well beings on the line to grow grapes. It is their livelihood, yeah. which is yeah. in a way putting yeah. your life on the line a yeah. little bit. I mean,
1: risking it, but it's definitely yeah. putting yourself out there. Oh. oh, oh, is it time to move the car? I mean, I'm gonna. I'll, I'll give it a minute. I'm not too worried unless they were just waiting in the bushes to to, yeah. to yeah. pin tag my tire. They
0: might. There's no bushes here, though. Everything's cement.
1: Yeah. But either way, uh, well, WSET was the one that came to mind when we were talking about, or or when I was talking about other um, accreditations and Mm -hmm, whatnot. mm -hmm. And and again, like I said, it just seems like there are people who are waiting in line to sort of tell you why WSET is not what it's cracked. What it's scrapped up, yeah. Mm -hmm. And I'm just kind of like, okay, well, that's fine, and that's you know, you're entitled to your opinion. You're entitled to whatever. I mean. Same thing according to Master Psalms. I mean, there are not a lot of women. There are not other people of color. Yeah. yeah. I'm not promoting that they have done a good enough job in trying to make... The, you know, trying to prevent that from, from being where we're at. Yeah. Um, as a person of color, I feel like I'm... I just kind of land in the middle like I I don't it's not I'm just not ready to to attack you know every big entity or big you know uh, credential and say well you know there aren't enough there's not enough representation so it can't be good well it's never gonna change if people like myself don't attempt to crack that code or break that barrier or whatever it is so I, I, that's kind of where I stand of like, well, it, it it may be, there may be some problematic things going on, but they're never going to change if we let the system perpetuate itself and and kind of just continue to be what it, what it has been. So, um, cheers to all women and people of color out there who are out breaking the, uh, you know, trying to, trying to break the barriers. Challenging the norms. Challenging the norms. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe 10, 15 years from now, the. Court and W set and any number of other entities will look very different. And yeah. that would be a wonderful thing if we could have these entities out there promoting wine, educating mm-hmm. people on wine with representation of the whole of society as a whole. I think that would be the goal for all of us. and I think if we did that, then that would be pretty cool. I think you know. On, on
0: that note, also, you know, the, the changes can't be made until those people are in a place with the power to make a change in those in those environments. You know, you could have somebody that says, you know, I want to make a change to include women. But you you can, but how much do you really know about it if you're not a woman, right? Like you can think that you know what's best, but you don't necessarily know what's best. You know, until a woman comes in and says, actually, this is this is what we should do, or this is what I recommend, or something like that, you know Right. so I'm right. with you, like, keep pushing keep yeah. keep challenging the norms
1: yeah, I think that's the uh, that's the future for sure, so I, I definitely I don't like I said, I don't know where I'll end up as far as my I don't, see, I was even thinking about it today I was like, I don't, you know, what if I did just drop, not drop what I was doing, but what if I did just one day try and push and do my master song, and I, I think I landed at the, at the place of I don't know that I ever would. I think it's a little bit too much of an investment for it not being something that I necessarily want to dedicate my career to. But I do think that at least going for my level two is where I will. uh,
0: That's that's my plan at this point. Yeah, two's great, and then you could go for a certified specialist of wine or something. Also, if you want, you know, there's a lot of different certifications. I think you know if you. Decided at this point to kind of jump towards the Master som route. I think anybody could do it. You know, maybe not me. I don't think that I have the palate for it. I could probably pass theory. I could probably deal with service. I'm not right now, but with enough training and with right, enough practice. time. But um, but I think, you know, I'm not going to say anybody can't do it. But it certainly is a, a major investment, both financially, time. You know, your, your, all of your attention has to be paid to studying um anybody that hasn't watched the psalm movies i highly recommend watching those uh if you kind of want to see what the lifestyle of somebody pursuing the master psalm is um psalm tv is something that will has started watching recently uh that i've watched as well introduced to us by our friend uh kayla and uh psalm tv is really great they're streaming the movies right now and you can uh go on and watch those but on a side note, before you have to uh, run and move your car, what do you think of this wine? This is 2016 Odero Nebbiolo.
1: Uh, I, I'm enjoying it. I think just in a comparative kind of way, I think that with the Nebbiolo, and I, I can't recall the producer... Michelle Chiarlo. 2018? 19. 19. Young. Last year. I I thought it was 18 because I thought the the Cote de Ronde that we were drinking was also 18. I guess we'll find out after the podcast. I guess we'll find out after the podcast. (laughs) That's a very good point. Um, But yeah, I feel like this is slightly lower in acid. I feel like it is a little higher in the tannin Mm -hmm. category. Yeah. Um, I like the texture. I think the balance is there. I like the... uh, like the fruit. I don't. Know. I I don't drink as much. I since leaving Italian restaurants, I feel like I kind of drifted away from drinking as much Italian wine as I like to, and I'm actively fighting back. Yeah. I am. I am. You know, fighting back the, uh, <laughs> the the good fight of drinking as much Italian wine as possible. Don't sell your soul to the French just yet. I mean, I don't. And I actually, I was actually I, uh, just on a on a kind of maybe even ending any point with uh, Kermit Lynch. I was in there speaking with my my friend now, Jennifer. Uh, they have always imported French and Italian mm-hmm. exclusively. They don't import anything else, which I think is kind of crazy when you think about just to be an importer and just do like even, even importers that have a very large emphasis on French and Italian usually have a couple other things in their portfolio and they don't they're literally just French and Italian but I and I, I certainly hope this is off the record but it was from what I understand they are going to be moving in a direction of having some more, they're going to expand a bit and I think they will go in the direction of having some Spanish and even German That'd wine be awesome. Around which is great because in my travels which maybe we'll talk about on some later later date or something like that I don't know, but I really really deeply deeply love Spanish wine. I am a sucker for oxidative notes. Mm-hmm. I think that oxidative and oxidized wines are lovely. It can be a lot of fun. I know that that is not a, you know, not something that everyone enjoys, not a note everyone not enjoys. Not always intentional. Not always intentional. No. It's yeah, obviously definitely sometimes a flaw, but overall it's just for me just that like a white rioja um, even some of the kavas and just, in general, that little bit of just, like, dried fruit, that mm. dried res- raisin kind of deal that you get with uh, some Riojas and whatnot, I just, for me, it's just one of my favorite wine characteristics. So for me, I drink as much cannabis wine as I possibly can, would like to drink more, but unfortunately there aren't a lot of importers out there bringing in tons of it. Um, and I, I actually am very excited if Kermit Lynch... I would imagine would never be able to catch up to their Italian and French supply. But if they were to bring in the level of quality that they bring in of Italian and French, I would be excited and I would be the first person at the door at 11 o'clock this morning, like we were, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, banging at the door trying to uh, buy what I can. Because I'm seriously just... Spanish wine is is horrendously underrated. Mm -hmm. So... And that's even with people knowing that Rioja's good. I mean, there's just, there's so many examples of Spanish grapes being able to easily mimic their, I won't say Italian or French counterparts, but kind of easily fool you into thinking that you're drinking something from somewhere else.
0: Yeah. No, I I think you're right. And I think, uh, you know, an importer like Kermit Lynch does a really great job of, of partnering with some smaller producers and bringing in really high-quality wines. And the best part about being able to go there is, is you're going to be able to go there and get them as they've become imported. And, you know, most of the time you're going to the grocery store, the grocery store is getting their wine from a distributor, the distributor is getting their wine from an importer, the importer is getting their wine from a winery. You know, there's all those hands and there's all those steps along the way and people need to get paid. And being able to support a company like Kermit Lynch is, you know, it's it's almost symbiotic. You're supporting them; they're supporting you.
1: I mean, and you touched on it earlier. Just, I, I have always, and I, and I really will on this. <laughs> my, I, I, really do believe that in this industry, as hard as everyone works, as hard as servers work, cooks, hosts, busters, dish, dishwashers. I mean, every single person who works in a restaurant. Uh, it, it is very difficult to work in a restaurant. And not bust your ass. Industry love is very important to me, uh, to the point that when I just. just a quick story, I, I basically, when I first started cooking, I'd always feel bashful going to a restaurant and telling them that I work in the industry. And aside from eventually kind of not, because I was like, I make nothing, I make minimum wage as a line cook, I make food for people who make way more money than I do, I don't know why I'd ever feel bad about telling someone that I cook for a living. Aside from that, was I kind of got later in my career, and especially now as a manager, if someone who works in, in, in the industry comes and eats at a restaurant that I work at, I am actually upset if I don't know about that because I'm like, please tell me. You're excited to take care please, of me. Yeah, exactly. yeah. Please, yeah, exactly. Please tell me. I want to take care of you. Please tell me because also, like, I want you to get the best of what we do. I mean, I want every every guest to the VIP, blah, 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 whatever. We can, we can sing those silly, you know, uh, sentiments all we want. But I really do treat industry people much more like that's that's my vip mm. like that's the people who i want to cook for mm-hmm. that's the mm-hmm. people whose opinion on the food that i want right. that's the people who i want to provide with an experience i'm happy to make some millionaire guy super stoked on his steak and his munyar munure and whatever like mm-hmm. good for you like live your life i'm happy to make your meal special like great but for me the line cook who's like Spaved for three months, trying to have a special meal. That's the person who I want to, yeah. like, really walk away with having a special night. The
0: experience is much more memorable. So, so
1: one-of-a-kind experience exactly. versus an every-night experience. Exactly. And so to the Kermit Lynch point, I so I'm really all about industry love. And the fact that I remember when I first started buying wine from them, I was about to order wine online. And just this little birdie just said, you know what, just give them a call and just, like, see if they do any kind of industry. whatever. And I called them up. And it wasn't even like they were like, oh, yeah, like, yeah, what are you doing? It was like, no, hey, get off the phone, create an account, call us back, tell us what the account is, and we'll flag you as industry. And you'll get 20% for the rest of the time that you ever buy wine right, yeah. from us. Which I was like, that I, I just think for me, that just really sums up, or at least is, is probably the, about the best example that I can think of of how I think things should be. It's like, you recognize we all do the same thing, we all bust our asses. Here's twenty percent. You guys are still making money. You're still you're just selling wine. You're still making money. You sell it to someone who maybe comes back and says, "Here's my opinion on it." That's an opinion that's probably a little more valuable to you than some rich guy who can afford to buy three thousand dollars worth of white burg every couple months. Like that, to me, for to me, seems to make sense for them. Mm -hmm. Makes your customers happy, and it means that as much as I actually try to buy wine other places. The first place that I want to buy wine from when I'm looking to go buy, like, three or four bottles at a time is probably them. Yeah. There's other places that give discounts. There's other places that I'm like, I really like the wines that you have. But because of the way that they treat industry and they are the way that they treat their customers in general, but especially industry, uh, always, always makes me want to go back and always makes me uh, – always leaves me with a with a really warm, fuzzy feeling of, of like – I can't wait for the next time I can come back. Appreciation. Yeah. I'm always excited for that. I can't wait to drink these wines if I have an excuse to come back. Yeah. So that's uh, my shameless and uh, maybe corny, sappy plug Plug. of of Kermit Lynch. Plug it. Which really is kind of a funny thing. I I mean, if you told me five years ago I'd be making sappy plugs of Kermit Lynch on a podcast... I don't know what I would think but yeah, here I would, you are. I, would, I don't know what I'd believe. Winning. I would, yeah. Here yeah. yeah. There we go. Here we are. winning. Here We are. <laughs> <laughs> here we are.
0: Uh well, uh well, anything else that any uh departing thoughts? Uh, I, I know like the
1: car's your car is probably getting towed at this I point. I but... hope so. Um, you no, know, at this point I yeah, I just I hope that I have not rambled too much to never be invited back. No, you'll that be back. That is my uh that is actually my it was my only goal today. It you'll be to back, not, even if there's only one listener. You'll be back because I only
0: have one listener right. probably anyway. Right. Let know? me
1: just not ramble so much that he loses listeners and that I don't <laughs> get invited back. That was yeah, my only objective. You can't
0: go into the negative,
1: so That's I fair. can't lose any. That's fair. Yeah. That's
0: fair. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's well, more of just a hobby than then, anything. Then I will call it. I will call this a win. Perfect. Perfect. <laughs> well, everybody, uh, go check out Kermit Lynch in East Bay in Berkeley go check out Ungrafted in the dog patch if you're in the Bay Area or also look for Kermit Lynch imported wines as well Uh, they're all over the place or shop online or shop online they'll ship them to you um, us and uh, yeah, give it. A, they should plug us. They yeah. should just put don't know my what's podcast. Going on. I you know? just literally was yeah.
1: there this morning. They could have easily thrown <laughs> in some of that thorny rosé. Yeah, I mean, find. yeah. I don't even
0: need money. Just give me a bottle of wine. That's all I want. It literally. could just be yeah, swill or whatever. But yeah. Um, yeah, okay, everybody. Thanks for joining us again, and we'll see you soon. I feel like you're-